I'm Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series brought to you today by Yetter Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Once a real kick the tires kind of industry, ag equipment sales are now quite common online. A pioneer in ag equipment auctions, Big Iron Auctions was among the first to provide a safe, secure way for owners to receive fair market value for their assets via an online platform. As a farmer himself who's been in the auction business since 1984 with his brother Ron, co-founder and co-CEO Mark Stock has unique insights into the online auction environment, not only for ag equipment, but also for land and now livestock as well. For this episode of the No-Till Farmer podcast, we're checking in with Mark as he shares some industry trends and predictions. Join us to hear Mark's thoughts about what the recent high commodity prices and low interest rates mean for the industry as a whole, how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected both new and used equipment sales, why he thinks there will be strong demand for no-till land in the future, and much more. I'm happy to have Mark Stock with us today from Big Iron Auctions. Mark, to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in the auction business? Well, graduated high school in the early 80s, went to college, dad was a farmer, and you know, everybody remembers the 80s. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people that <laughs> Around then, you know, the 80s was 18% interest and everything wasn't worth a darn. And dad said, you guys might have to figure out something else to do because I have an older brother, Ron. And Ron to auction school while I was in college and he come back and said, hey, I need some help because I was more of the bookkeeper organizer type of thing. And Ron was more of the flamboyant person everybody noticed. <laughs> Started doing salt and pepper shaker sales, we call them, you know, little household auctions and Eventually, we got a couple of breaks and did some farm machinery sales, and and uh, that kept growing our business. We were doing some unique stuff back then when we were we would set up the entire sale. So when people would call, we'd go out there and clean it up and line it up and do all that stuff. So it started in 1984, and then in 1999, uh, we we were experimenting with the internet and broadcasting auctions in real time over the internet. And the first auction we did that was, was in um, May of 2001. And there was three people that were watching that auction online. Two of them were our programmers. And uh, one of them was a person who just loved computers. After three or four or five years of that, uh, you know, we noticed that there was a trend. A lot of people liked the convenience of being able to stay in their shop or in their office and, and bid on machinery that was sold online. In 2008, ethanol got introduced in agriculture, saw commodity prices jump from $1.80 and $2.20 a bushel up to $3.30 and $3.60. The people that were having auctions really dropped. I mean, we were having 
three and a half auctions on average per week across about six states uh, back in uh, 2007 and early 2008. And then it dropped because of high commodity prices. It dropped to three auctions a month. It was three, three and a half auctions a week to three auctions a month. And that's because farmers didn't want to retire when they were selling corn for $3.60. You know, the, the sales that we were having were the health issues or something, you know, a death in the family. Uh, so we were doing those, but we'd always have people come up to us and say, hey, I got a couple of pieces of machinery I want to sell. When you want to have a consignment sale? And we said, well, we got to have at least a half a million dollars worth back then to, to justify the advertising expense because we've always been really firm believers in uh, marketing to people who want to buy your machinery, not just putting an ad out there and hoping somebody comes up and sees something cheap that they don't really need, but they'll buy it anyway. We wanted to market to people who were looking for that to use because they'll pay more. So we dabbled in 2009 with our timed auction platform, 21 whole pieces was on that very first big iron online auction. But it worked out pretty pretty well. Uh, 21 pieces sold, and there was 890 people registered for 21 items. And uh, most of the items were just some of our neighbors that we went around saying, hey, would you want to try something different? And we went from one auction a month to uh, just two short months later to two auctions a month, just two short months later to an auction every week. Grew really, really fast. You know, that was in 2009. And now, fast forward, you know, we have a sales team of well over 200 and we're, we're selling equipment consistently from about 22 to 26 states every week. And uh, our platform is an absolute auction platform. Of course, we've been, uh, we've always been an absolute auction company since 1999. We just said, you know, we're going to make the shift from allowing price protection like so many auctioneers do to a no reserve platform because we figured that's the way you're going to get the best serious bidders to attend your sale instead of just the jockeys to attend your sale. So we switched to that platform and then uh, we've never charged a buyer's fee. We know that people out there do that, but uh, we don't think uh, that, uh, you know, our, our bidder base appreciates that. Actually they pay more because they don't have to add that 10% onto it or whatever that fee is because people will do it the first time they'll get caught speeding. I call it, you know, because they didn't follow the terms. And then the next time, if they even go back to that auction company that did that to them, and if is the big world, because now they start running their calculator and they spend more time running a calculator on what their total cost is instead of just focusing on whether that piece of machinery works for them or not, right? And then we do lean searches. So everything we sell is lean free because you can't have an absolute auction or an auction note with no reserve if you've got banks uh, with security, we make sure that we work out all those details before any items even get posted on our website. Mm -hmm. so that's a little brief summation of what Big Iron does. Okay, great. So I understand that you have some uh, industry predictions that you want to share with us. So we'd love to hear those. We sell land and we sell machinery. We're even selling livestock now. So I guess we can break this down to uh, those different categories. Land is a real popular commodity right now because first of all there's supply and demand a lot of demand but little very little supply a lot of these uh, baby boomers and we'll mention baby boomers a lot here they set up their land to pass it on to their children their children you know want to keep that land in ownership as long as they can but then when their kids start having health issues or start passing away that's when a lot of that land starts to surface because they don't necessarily want their uh, brothers and sisters to be partners with their children. 
because it gets to be kind of diluted. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're seeing historically low interest rates, and that is uh, inflating the price of land quite a bit, as well as the run-up in our commodity prices. So when you have uh, opportunities to sell old crop and even some new crop commodities, that's got a lot more interest in people investing in farmland. Plus, we have outside money floating into farmland for a couple of reasons. The stock market, it's really high, and they're just waiting for that correction. And they think that land is going to be real good property for a couple of things. First of all, the carbon credits that are going to be surfacing or coming into play uh, in a couple of years are really got a lot of these investors' attention. So not only can they buy land and rent it out to a good tenant, but they also have the opportunity to work with that tenant to establish good cover crops and great and create additional revenue for both landowner and tenant in the form of a carbon credit. So a lot of people are interested in that. A lot of a lot of big money is interested in that. So that's keeping our land values up. Now on the machinery side of the business, you know, COVID has changed the landscape on a lot of stuff. It's changed the auction business because a lot of people are now using the online method. Uh, I think we pretty much established that our our brand and our model is an absolute auction model. So we get a tremendous following of people. But uh, what's important about the machinery business is the manufacturers, too, had to readjust the way they uh, manufactured equipment right off the line. In fact, I was just talking to a gentleman uh, two days ago. He said he put an order in for a new grain trailer, and uh, he won't take possession of that grain trailer right now till the middle of October. So he said, I don't even know if I'll be able to use it for the majority of some of the harvest. So right now we're seeing not only, you know, transportation equipment being slowed down, but, uh, you know, tractors and combines and cornheads and planters and sprayers are all being affected by uh, factories having to reconfigure their uh, assembly operations for COVID. And a lot of their, sometimes a lot of their workers weren't coming into work because of COVID. So that slowed down production. So, we have the baby boomers, and here's the baby boomer word again, <laughs> that uh, in 2012 and 13 and 14, uh, they were making some tremendous money. And uh, what they did to beat Uncle Sam, as many farmers do, is they used the 179 government tax program there to be able to write off new purchases from their income tax. So we've seen farmers who were making some pretty serious money buy later modeled, if not new equipment in those years. And they weren't even trading off the equipment that they had because that would kind of eliminate some of the provisions or the benefits that they were using for that 179. And then some of that equipment's already hit the market, but that's been 10 years ago already, right? Or nine years ago, eight years ago. And now those folks are ready to retire. So they have got later model machinery with low hours that's hitting the market. So it's kind of, if there's supposed to be a the perfect case scenario for somebody who wants to retire uh, and sell machinery, uh, now is the time because a buyer can't get anything new for a period of time. Thus, they're looking at low-houred pre-owned machinery that's represented by the owner, which we always publish the owner's name and number on our website. It's one of our trademarks. So that way a buyer can feel comfortable with the process. But if that seller wants to sell right now, uh, we are strongly encouraging people to consider that. I had a gentleman call me two weeks ago. He said he thinks he's going to farm one more year because he can sell new crop corn for, you know, close to $4 and 50 cents. And he thinks he can make some good money. And I said, well, you know, everybody else can make good money too. 
if they've locked in some of their inputs. So maybe you should consider having your sale when everybody else is making some money. Because to have a sale when nobody's making any money, that's when you see uh, equipment sell for, uh, you know, a little cheaper values. And uh, that gentleman, after talking it over with his tax man, he called me back up and said, yeah, they're going to go go ahead and carry on with their retirement auction plans. They can rent out their ground and they've, uh, they've already found a tenant that they've negotiated a, a pretty favorable rent because of new crop commodity prices. So it's kind of a win-win all the way through. So we're going to see, in my opinion, if I'm supposed to make a forecast, we're going to see uh, a lot of bidders and buyers in the market for late model machinery. And if a seller wants to take advantage of the shortage of supply and capitalize on the huge demand, please get a hold of your big iron rep right away and get that equipment listed and sold. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about livestock, that's something new that we've introduced to Big Iron. And we did that because uh, the livestock producers asked us to. They said, hey, is there any chance that you guys could sell livestock on your website? Because just as it's a huge savings for people to sell machinery on Big Iron because they don't have to load it up and haul it anywhere. And then the buyer loads it up and hauls it to their place. And sometimes it goes 20 miles from their house. And the next time it goes 500 miles from their house. But they have that unnecessary freight. So I guess Big Iron is green. We're trying to save the freight uh, from going in two different directions instead of just going one way. The same thing takes place with the livestock. The bidders and buyers, they like to buy the bulls right off the ranch. They like to buy the registered animals right off the ranch. They like to buy the, the, the bred females and the, and the bred cows right off the ranch. They like those um, complete dispersal sales when they buy them right off the ranch. And we've got a video production team, not only for the machinery side of the business and the land side, but now also for the livestock industry because people watch the videos. The younger generations, they do everything, TikTok and Instagram and all that stuff is all done with a phone pretty much glued to their hand 24 hours a day. They watch videos and we provide that. We're trying to fill that part of the industry that the direction is going to. So you'll see the you'll see the livestock with videos. You'll see a lot of still shot pictures, and of course, you know all of that is picking up a lot of attention. And we've got some tremendous opportunities now, folks, to buy registered animals on BigIron.com through the livestock side of things. And and our we've got a couple people that are leading up the charge on that livestock, and their phone is literally ringing off the wall from Montana and Wyoming and North Dakota down to Missouri and Arkansas and into Texas uh, from people who want to sell livestock on Big Iron. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that people who are looking to purchase animals, uh, please check out how they're being sold. And for those who have uh, started up their own production herds, or maybe they've been in the business for 40 and 50 and 60 and four and five generations because they're out there, so take a look at how the internet uh, platform that BigIron.com has can help them in their business and, and sell their livestock, just as it has been doing for people who are selling machinery. Okay, that's really interesting. And um, can you just back up for a moment, and for anybody who doesn't know, can you just uh, define what the absolute auction model is? An absolute auction is also called an auction with no reserve. We do not allow the seller or their seller's agent or any shill bidding on our website. So when we meet with a seller, we have an uh, online listing agreement that we review and it stipulates that, you know, we're selling this to the highest bidder 
and it can't be somebody who's bidding on the seller's behalf just to run up the price. Mm -hmm. So it's an absolute or an auction with no reserve. So feel confident, bid with confidence. If we ever catch somebody doing it, there's there's a huge liquidated damage provision within our agreement. And uh, yeah, over the over the years, we've had, caught a couple people doing it, and uh, they kind of scream and yell a little bit. <laughs> but we pull out the agreement, and uh, at the end of the day, it's about protecting the integrity of our brand and then protecting the integrity of our process. So, you know, not everybody's a candidate for an absolute auction. And we talk to people about that. If you think your item is worth X, you know, and you absolutely don't have any risk tolerance, then you need to do something different with it, you know. But by and large, when you have 30, 40, and 50,000 people watching an auction on a sale day, and our auctions are predominantly on Wednesday, we are going to be having some two-day special event auctions and some special, you know, classic car auctions that are coming up. But, you know, when you have 30 and 40 and 50,000 people watching throughout the day, there's, you know, people are looking because they want to buy it, not because they want to steal it. Now, yeah, there's a bargain on every auction. There has to be. There's a bargain on every sale, just like you go to the retail store and they got a clearance section too, right? There's a bargain in every store. You just got to keep your eyes open for it. And most of the time, you don't even know it was a bargain until the sale's over. (laughs) But by rights, when you have so many people watching, uh, you bring... To the seller, fair market value with an absolute auction. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I seem to remember you telling me about how you you put a lot of work into watching out for those shill bidders. Can you just talk about that a little bit, how you guys do that? Yeah. Well, we've got some tremendous computer programmers and they can tie things into phone numbers, addresses, Facebook, Instagram campaigns. There's a there's eight or nine different ways that we can get a red flag or a caution flag on the screens that um, identify the potential or possibility of shield bidding. So we take that serious because that's protecting our brand. Yeah. Uh, so anybody listening to this, if you think you can scam the situation, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to get away with it. And then we're going to have a bad conversation later on. So let's just not go there. If it doesn't fit for you, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. You yeah. know. So it's yeah. the same thing we tell our sellers when we when we sit down with them, say, now we want you to explain or describe everything that's good and bad about it. Because if you try to hide something, we're going to have another conversation. Mm-hmm. And this time it's going to be involved with a bidder and a buyer. And those conversations usually aren't good, but people can handle the truth. Yeah. So it's pretty simple and pretty obvious. If it's got a bad gear in the transmission, just say it's got transmission problems. And then when they call you, just tell them what's going on. It shifts hard or it doesn't even hit into between fourth and fifth gear, whatever the problem is. Or if there's a leak somewhere, yeah, there's a seal out. Just be honest about it and tell people there's an oil leak that you're buying it that way. They can handle the truth. And you know, people pay more for honesty. Yeah. And they'll figure it out once they get it anyways. Yeah, they, not only do they find out if it's not been disclosed, that's when the call comes into the office and that's when that call goes back to that seller and says, hey, what's going on? Yeah. You know, if it's something internal, now our reps are trained to be identifying everything that's external. You know, they, they're they looking for welds. They're looking mm-hmm. for, you know, things that don't look right. And they're taking pictures and they're identifying that because that's what their job is to do. That's what's different about Big Iron. We don't have, you know, we, we are a third 
party. Uh, the rep is the third neutral party. They're supposed to be looking at the machinery as if they have the eyes for a buyer. Mm -hmm. So what would a buyer want to know about if they were interested in bidding and buying on that machine? So, you know, well, you know, displayed size, you get out the tape measure and they take a picture of this, the displayed size. They, you know, we just have a whole protocol of different things and requirements that need to be done on our website because we want a confident bidder because guess what a confident bidder does? Bids higher? They'll spend, they'll <laughs> spend more money. That's right. They'll bid higher. And, and they, they appreciate the, the information. They appreciate the honesty. And uh, we're, we're, a, we're a family run uh, business. Ron and Mark stock started, we're farm kids, right? And uh, I, I would never want to go buy something from somebody that lied to me about it. It would really upset me. You know, and I just could never do business with that person again. That's yeah. the way I'm wired. So why don't we just do it straight up and then we don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, right. Well, I'm sure a lot of people appreciate that. We'll get back to the conversation with Mark Stock in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for supporting today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to Mark Stock as he talks about trends he's seeing in ag equipment sales. Can you just talk a little bit about trends that you are seeing in uh, equipment sales in particular? Like, are there any kind of uh, specific pieces of equipment that people are particularly interested in getting their hands on these days? Yes, there are several trends that we're noticing and. uh because of a lot of the health issues that are out there in agriculture and I think everything in general, you know, people are upgrading their planters to bigger machines uh, because of the time constraints and the labor. Uh, you know, in 2019, a lot of people didn't get their crops planted because of the bad weather. So they were looking for uh, in going from a 12 row to a 24 row or from a 16 row to a 24 row because if you do the math your production per hour increases dramatically and you can get an extra so many more acres done in a day you know people are just making those shifts it's tough to find farm labor help right now mm -hmm. you know a lot of people years ago they could run two planters because they had the help around to do it now the help just doesn't seem to exist much anymore and um, so planters are a big commodity. So fast speed to fertilizer machines and, and uh, floaters where you can cover a lot of acres and put on your fertilizer and your spraying in a short period of time are definitely getting a lot of attention. And the older tractors that are well cared for are getting a lot of attention because you don't need a computer to fix it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think some of the producers that aren't real big you know, they get frustrated every time something breaks on a newer machine. They have to call a service tech out there and they plug it into a computer and uh, you can't see the problem because it's in limp mode. Your tractor won't move and nobody knows why. Well, there's a sensor that's out. How do you find the sensor? You got to plug in a computer to find out which sensors putting it into limp mode. Or some of these older tractors, they don't have all those gadgets and gadgets and they can still be out there going back and forth in the field, making it work. So we have different dynamics, you know, the, the big operations 
uh, you know, they need to cover acres fast and they can do that with high horsepower, big planters. But you got the folks out there that may have a job in town and they farm uh, in the evenings. And uh, that's when their that's when their service tech usually is not working in the evenings. And if they got a breakdown, well, they're in the they're back in their job in town while their tractor's getting fixed. And the next thing you know, that they're they don't see what's wrong and it's frustrating to them. So we're seeing people that buy the tractors that are older, that are well cared for. We see a spike in that demand. It's kind of funny in 1990, you know, uh, so to speak, a John Deere 4440 would bring twenty two thousand dollars, and in 2020. A good John Deere 4440 will bring 25 to 30,000. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And then on the flip side, so are there any trends in terms of like what isn't selling super, super fast that where, you know, somebody might be able to get a really good deal on, on a certain type of equipment? You know, there's always some one-off stuff, uh, mm-hmm. some specialized equipment. And I don't know if it's a, uh, necessarily a uh, a bargain but you know you just have a limited number of people who are looking to buy it okay um, but uh, we really haven't seen a dramatic shift in uh, anything that's that's lost a uh, value you know i had a gentleman call us up a couple of months ago he said hey i've got an eight row 36 inch planter he says i'll probably give this thing away but we switched everything to 30 inch rows and uh, so it's just sitting in the back of the shed taking a space so he said, should I take it to the iron buyer or should we try to sell it? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure it'll probably bring more than iron price on big iron. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it ended up bringing way more than what he had imagined. And when, when the sale was over, I called uh, one of the bidders and I said, hey, thanks for buying that planter. He says, you know what? He says, I can't find them. Mm-hmm. He said, you just can't find them. He says, we have some gravity irrigated rows down along the riverbed. And uh, we got 38-inch spacing or 36-inch spacing pipe. So, um, you know, I've been kind of looking to upgrade another planter or get another planter in operation. And here comes this planter. By golly, he bought it. And guess what? There was another person with the same story. So (laughs) when you use the Internet, when you have so broad of a reach, there really isn't anything that is softened because of the sheer volume of people that are watching all the time. Yeah. And we have we have specific rules that I'm not going to get into here on on what we do behind the scenes in order to make sure that the attention is is out there for all these particular bidders and buyers. There's SEO, there's SEM, there's all kinds of things. There's a lot of stuff that's more technical than I can even explain, but that's why we've got really really smart people that know how to do it. But if you give us enough time and don't back us into a corner because we we won't get back into a corner. I mean, we've got 6 weeks out participation programs right now, you know, if you wanted to sell something today, we're not even going to, it's not going to close or sell for six weeks Mm -hmm. because we're not going to throw it out there and just hope somebody wants it. Mm -hmm. We're going to go find the valued bidders, the people that want to buy it, those people that are looking seriously for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can't do that if you throw something out there to have it. Oh, I want it sold a week from now. Well, okay. Um, you, you you have no idea what's going to happen when you do that. And I think there's some auction companies that do that, but they're probably allowing price protection too. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be involved in stuff like that. That's just me. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about land. Are there any sort of trends in terms of land sales? Is there anything in terms of acreage or what types of land people are looking for or anything like that? 
Well, land is just a real popular commodity, as I mentioned earlier, because of the shortness of supply. And, you know, location, location, location is still important, right? So it all depends on uh, if you've got a real progressive community where the land is being sold. There's a lot of deep pockets and land very seldom, if ever, comes up for sale. That's when you see the firework displays and land selling prices because they just they're they're out of this world in terms of price. Yeah. And then you got some parts of the area where it's not quite as progressive or it's a little different soil type or somebody might have developed something years ago and um, you know it's what we call more marginal in terms of crop production. Those are the those are the areas where you usually see the biggest shifts. You'll see a big shift up and you'll see a big shift down mm-hmm. uh, whereas in these communities where it's real, you know, progressive deep pocket areas, you don't see that much of a, a movement. Uh, they'll, they'll go up as the market goes up, but when there's a correction, they usually don't go down very much because everybody knows that it's, if it comes for sale today, they'll never have another chance in their lifetime yeah. to bid it and buy it. So um, land is still a good investment in the, in the right locations, and you really got to watch your market in those marginal areas so uh, you can make that work in your operation, whether as an investor or as a farmer looking to expand. Getting back to what you were talking about with the carbon credits, it's interesting to hear that you're saying a lot of buyers are and, you know, sort of the big money is interested in that. Um, you know, for some years, I think no-tillers in particular would say that uh, because their land hasn't been tilled and therefore has higher organic matter, better structure or stability, that it should be valued higher than conventionally tilled land. So what do you think of that? Do you, do you think that there's some recognition of that in the marketplace? I totally agree with you. I okay. totally agree with that statement. Uh, and, I, and I'll talk about that just because it's in, that we do that in our own farming operation. I'm, I, I still farm. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't get to go out there and have as much fun like I used to. I got boys that do it. And, but, you know, my dad, when I was in you know grade school, he was a no-till farmer. Uh-huh. And um, so I'm very familiar with that process. And uh, not only do you save fuel because you're not making multiple passes across your farmland, but you're, you're saving energy and you're saving moisture, you're saving nutrients, you're doing all kinds of things. You're, you're building organic matter. The earthworms are down in there uh, helping out stuff as well. So that no-till farming operations right now, I think after years and years and years of going through all the ridicule they get from the people yeah. <laughs> in town, right. uh, I I think they're going to see a lot of the rewards. Now uh-huh. we got to take it a couple steps farther, and we got to put our cover crops out there now, which we've been doing. And you know, you let that organic matter continue to grow over the winter months. And of course, you get some good grazing out of it. So if you got some cows out there, that helps. There are cows all over the country, but in certain areas where you got cows walking out there, eating up some of that whatever you planted for your fall cover crop after your har- crops are harvested, uh, you know, that, that all comes into play. So, and those are the farms, I think, that a lot of people are looking at on an investment standpoint for these additional carbon credits, because they're just going to produce more carbon. Mm-hmm. They can produce more carbon. I'm not an expert on the, on the carbon topic at all. I've yeah. just been involved in a, a few of the conversations uh, where I've been overhearing some of the uh, discussion, and it's very intriguing. And I know a lot of these factories and industries in a couple of years, they're going to have to, in certain states, meet to some of the state mandated uh, emissions that have been imposed on them. And if they don't 
retro their factories or their their uh, whatever business they're in they've got to come up with some way to balance out their carbon footprint and that's when they talk to farmers preferably no-till farmers and start buying the credits that are being produced so it's another revenue stream that's going to help out agriculture and it's going to definitely increase the value once this really catches hold and it will over the next five to ten years it's going to catch hold yeah for sure yeah, well, and the whole regenerative ag movement has really gained a lot of steam. And I'm wondering if that has anything to do with the livestock auctions sort of ramping up. We we do a, a yearly benchmark survey, and we see year over year that more and more farmers are integrating livestock on their, on their operations. So do you see that happening? Well, I think it's a good diversification for agriculture. But uh, then again, you've got to have some labor to handle that diversification, too. Sure. So, so, you know, we've, we've run, we run cows, we've run cows in our operation too, for you know, mm-hmm. 30 years, we, they go to pasture. And then when it's pasture done, they come back, they walk the corn stalks and the bean stubble fields. Then they eat the, then they eat the rye. If we put rye out or if we doing some turnips or some radishes or something, they eat that, they eat that cover too. So it works good. It, it It's, you know, you got to recapture in addition to the carbon credits, which we haven't been capturing yet because this is still in the beginning stages. But, you know, you plant those radishes and those turnips and that rye out there, you get some tremendous grazing off of that uh, because you can't feed your animals hay all winter long either. But now this winter is a little tough because mm. every field we've got has got a foot of snow on it. <laughs> right. And that's so, you know, the value of hay is really shot up. But, uh-huh. But still, they're walking out there. There's, we still got them walking in corn stalks. We're supplementing them with some hay. But, but yeah, it's amazing how a cow will root down through a foot of snow and find find something to eat. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing, right? So I gather that farm income was actually up in 2020 and, you know, possibly largely from pandemic relief. Um, but also, of course, there's been the uptick in commodity prices. So just wondering what you're seeing in terms of what farmers are doing because of that? Well, you know, anytime a farmer has a little extra money in their pocket, they invest it. Okay. They either invest it in upgrading their machinery, buying a new pickup truck, uh, uh, adding a few more acres to their portfolio, uh, reshingling their roof. You know, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll do all kinds of things. Uh, that's one thing I've always appreciated about agriculture. They keep the economy stimulated within their communities when they have income. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the pandemic relief has, has added a little bit of a income relief, I guess, to the, some of those farmers. And, and, and it should because the commodity prices, we were down to $3 corn mm-hmm. and $2.80 corn in the middle of last summer. And I know just by listening to farmers how frustrated they are with the misinformation that was received, uh, because why is why are why is our ending stocks so short now, when they were telling us last May that there's going to be three billion bushels of carryover, and now there's way less than that. I mean, where did that information get skewed? That 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 right there demands a, a some sort of a investigation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people were emptying out their grain bins prior to this year's harvest mm-hmm. and selling grain for you know two dollars a bushel than what it is right now and and there's supposed to be statistic services out there that are supposed to keep us informed. I have a hard time understanding how that could be so off 
but farmers are, you know, they're, they're going to get up and they're going to go to work. They're going to feed the cattle. They're going to put the corn and the beans in the ground. They're going to raise the wheat. They're going to harvest the barley. They're going to do whatever it needs to be done because that's what they do, you know, and uh, they're, they're going to be a little bit frustrated. Uh, You know, now they're seeing fertilizer prices uh, spike and uh, there's no good reason for it other than it can. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they deal with that. They do, we have to deal with that all the time. We just wish that there was just a way that a farmer could actually reap the benefits of their hard work once in a while, because I think they will keep the economy flourishing. And I think that's what every farmer has to look at here. Same as when you're buying a piece of machinery. I mean, if it works in your operation, buy it. It's like a land. We do the land now auctions on our online platform. And people really like it because they can maintain their anonymity. And what does that mean? Okay, so there's a farm that comes up for sale. And there's probably three or four people in the immediate area who are interested in it. And if it was a public auction, they sit at a table and they have to look at each other to bid against each other. And sometimes that creates hard feelings because they got their children may be in the same class or or they're in the same church or they're in the same civic organization or something. And even though the farm is going to get sold to the highest bidder and everybody, everybody in the open outcry room has just as much of a right to bid on it as anybody else. Sometimes that doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. But when you do an online auction where you have the anonymity behind it, we have a real simple saying, don't, don't worry about who you're bidding against. Just focus on whether or not that price, you can make that farm work for you. That's all you should be focused on. You should be focused on, is that an investment you want something to be short-term or long-term? Because if you find out who you're bidding against and you like them, are you going to stop bidding because you like them? Or if you find out you're bidding against somebody who you don't like, are you going to bid against them just because you don't like them? Okay, now, now we just got completely sidetracked from what you really should be focused on. And you should just be focused on Does that property that you're looking at work in your operation at a price? And is there a price where it no longer works for you? That's all you should be focused on. And at the end of the day, when they find out who the high bidder was, you know, if it's anonymity based, they only find out who the winning bidder was. And it could be your next door neighbor that was bidding against you. And he ain't going to admit to it because he was running a calculator just like you were running a calculator. Mm Mm-hmm. And your calculator just had an extra zero or something on it. So that's my advice to people when they want to buy ground. Focus on whether or not it works for you. Yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, we like to think that people make uh, rational decisions. But you're saying that sometimes, especially when face-to-face, emotions can get the best of people. And then so the Internet platform just sort of levels that playing field. Levels it out. We've had some of these online auctions. We usually have an information day. Uh, or we'll have a, a little hall somewhere where some folks that aren't real computer savvy and they want to buy a farm, they might come in and we'll put them in a room and, and uh, you know, they'll bid on it that way. But they're always, they're always amazed to go, how come nobody's here? They go, how come nobody's here? Because, well, people are probably at home <laughs> or they're probably sitting with their banker. And what is really kind of cute is when you go out in the parking lot, there's three or four pickups and they're all running and people are bidding on their phone from the parking, from the parking lot. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Going back to talking about valuing no-till land higher, 
because of the practices that the farmers have been using. Can you see a way of actually taking those farming practices into consideration when looking at valuations? Is there a way that, you know, that that can happen? Well, we sure advertise it when it's a no-till farm. Oh, you do? Um, okay. Oh, yeah, we absolutely. If there's a history of no-till, if there's a conservation play or a no-till farming operation that's been done for years, we we promote that and we advertise that. Right now, um, because of the shortage of supply, anything that comes up for sale is, is selling well, mm-hmm. whether it's conventional or no-till, just because they don't have any other options. There's couple farms selling in a county versus, you know, 10 farms selling in a county just a few short years ago. So we can't really quantify it in the last 12 months as we did prior to. But uh, when when carbon credits become more widely known, I think that's when we're going to see a shift, Mm -hmm. a bigger shift, just because the the fertility is already there. It's going to take a while. eh? They always say it takes 18 months for Mid-America to react to what's going on in, in you know, the East Coast or West Coast. Uh, and it does. It just it seems to take that while. We, we always hear a lot about consolidation, like there's a lot of consolidation happening in farming. Do you see that to be the case? Well, the government has helped out tremendously with their first-time farm loan or ranch loan program, where they increase the limits from three hundred thousand to six hundred thousand. Ah, okay. So that has allowed some of these younger, or, or they don't necessarily need to be younger; they just need to be new, new land buyers, yeah. right? New farmers, new land buyers with a history. They've got to have, I think, three years history uh, working with the um, USDA Farm Service Agency. Oh, okay. And then if then if the land qualifies, I mean, you could get up to six hundred thousand low rate interest, either thirty or forty year loans. Mm-hmm. So that has helped some of the smaller or newer operations go a bit up against some of the larger ones. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the larger operations will will back down. Sometimes they do, but we still see the majority of the land is sold to somebody who owns property within seven miles of the property being sold. They may live in Florida, but they own a farm or their family owns a farm somewhere within that area uh, because they still have some family members that might live in that area. So they buy it and rent it out to their family. Mm -hmm. But in terms of consolidation, there's big people, big uh, groups buying. There's uh, small people buying. The, The last couple farms we sold were bought by. In fact, it was kind of interesting. Both of the farms that sold, the people actually owned land within about three miles of there. There was bidding wars from several people outside the area that were bidding on the ground that was inside the area. But, uh, you know, the person that drives by it all the time mm. and, and only lives or, or farms a couple miles away, they, they have more of an incentive to own it than somebody who's a long way away. Yeah, Definitely. Well, Mark, to wrap things up, what advice do you have for farmers who are potentially looking to pick up new acres or equipment or livestock in 2021 or going forward? Well, you know, if somebody's thinking about retiring, now is the time to do it. So I'll make that statement because (laughs) uh, I I think it's a great opportunity to capitalize on high commodity prices and low interest rates. I really do. Mm -hmm. So don't wait till we get down to $3.50 $3.50 corn again, because there's one thing that American agriculture knows how to do. We can produce it. Okay. There's a need for it. You know, they'll, 
We'll go out there and we'll produce it. We'll figure out a way. So if somebody wants to sell something, uh, get a hold of your Big Iron rep or call, contact us or go to BigIron.com. If you're looking to buy machinery, you know, we have a really good platform based on being honest and providing as much information as we can to help you make an educated decision on whether or not that item or that piece of machinery or that land or that livestock is good for you. Uh, go to the Big Iron website. Uh, tell us what you think, too. We got a phone number on there. Give us a call because we like to talk to people. We, we like to hear input, both pro and con, about what's going on with our, our, with our website and with our process because without hearing from the people out in the street, you know, uh, how, do you, how do you know where we need improvements if you think that we need to improve on something? But all in all, uh, we hope everybody has a real safe uh, planting season coming around the corner here. We hope everybody gets back to normal sooner than later. All right, absolutely. Okay, good. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to Big Iron Auction co-founder and co-CEO Mark Stock for this conversation. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any questions on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.